0: Hello everyone, and welcome to today's event on Climate Transformed. I'm Carolyn Shaps, your host and moderator today. Very pleased to be welcoming uh, Brita Osmonswog at Bomata today, CEO of T Omega Winds, who have developed an incredibly interesting new form of floating offshore wind turbine, and she'll tell us all about what that technology does and how that's evolved over the years. Brita, thank you
1: so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for having me and for this opportunity to talk about floating offshore wind and about T Omega wind specifically. Really excited about it. We'll hear all about your technology
0: in a minute. In your presentation, I just wanted to tell everyone a bit more about you. You're an executive with over 25 years of experience in the energy sector, having held various executive roles at Duke Energy, ExxonMobil, and also Equinol in Norway. And Brita also serves on the board of Hortigbods, a high-speed passenger ferry company in Norway. So lots of fingers and lots of pies for Brita. (laughs) But we're here today to, to, to hear about T-Omega Wind. Brisa Fifi, to share your presentation, we'll hear about the company and the technology. And then after that, we'll open the floor to questions. And everyone who's logged on live is very welcome to ask uh, your questions via the chat
1: function. But let's first hear from Brisa. Well, thank you. Yes, yeah, so at T-Omega Wind, we are radically redefining what is possible for floating off for wind turbines. So our mission is really to democratize offshore floating wind. And if you think about it today, most of the resources of offshore wind are really in over deep waters that really require uh, floating solutions in order to be harvested. So however, today only half, actually less than half a percent of the offshore wind generation is floating. So it's in the infancy and the is the still out on what are the right technologies. So we um see that the really to make this transition of, of decarbonization, so we must really have a solution that can benefit people in everywhere in the in the world. And today, some of the technologies or most of the technologies are really not viable in most areas where you have offshore wind resources. So our solution, I'll get more into it, but we have lower production costs and installation costs on our turbines than anyone else at this time. And so they're really competitive in all markets, both where it's in shallow waters and in deep waters. So I will go into a little bit about our story. So we are based in Boston, Massachusetts, and our company was founded in 2018 by Andy Myers and Jim Papadopoulos. They met 12 years ago as professors at Northeastern University and they became fast friends as they shared a mutual interest in wind. And um, while the, Andy, he actually spent a year at the Department of Wind at the Danish Technical University in Denmark. And while he was there, Jim and him came up with a manufacturer floating wind turbine concept that avoided some of the limitations of the existing wind turbines out there, the, the existing designs. And they really started with a blank piece of paper and designed the offshore wind turbine from, we say, from the water up, really with no preconceived technologies. So a little bit, just an introduction of myself. I think Caroline did a great, great job some of it. So I was born in Oslo, Norway, and I have a um, there, I grew up right outside the city with a passion for sailing. So I grew up with sailing as my sport. I sailed on the Arsla Fjord and I continued that sport through college. And so I know a little bit about the oceans and the power of the wind and and the opportunity of harvesting the wind. Again, Caroline said that I had spent over actually 25 years more uh, in the oil, gas and electricity industry. First first startup at Stato in Ecuador, right? And worked also for ExxonMobil. And last at Duke Energy, where I first got into renewables, I worked in the mergers and acquisitions group. And while we acquired our first onshore wind turbine portfolio in uh, 2008, so that's a while ago, and I'd lost and led the company's EV business. And that was really having a startup within a big 100-year-old company. The rest of our team also on the, uh, on the management team would like to also introduce you to Vin Lostiano. He's our COO and he's a serial entrepreneur. He started several companies and among them is Halo, a wind, a micro wind turbine company. And he's also an engineer and a patent attorney. And then we have Dave Forbes. He's a chief commercial officer and Dave has a great background in private equity and venture capital from with focus on climate tech. So we have deep renewable energy experience behind us in the management team. So we see that today, really the time is now for an offshore wind solution to come. We are experiencing the perfect storm with climate change being recognized around the globe and energy security is really the most important issue facing most nations today. And that has led to government mandates and support for renewables to replace fossil fuels. However, the legacy of wind technologies have huge infrastructure supply chain and cost challenges. We'll get more into that in a moment. But if you look at the at the, this is the depth map of the oceans and the offshore wind resources are today or the the current technologies are really only deployed in a few areas and that's in shallow waters as you can see of this light blue colors. And it's in areas that have specialized infrastructure Available and also in areas that can give subsidies for these to be deployed. However, if you look at the wind map of the world, you can see that the wind resources are vast around the globe on the offshore. This is two hundred miles off the coast, and you can see that with the red, deep red colors where they have the steady plus ten meters per second of wind. But if you look at the world at night, you can see here where the heavily populated areas are and where the electricity, electricity consumption is high. And if you overlay the wind map, you can see that in so many cases, the very great resource wind resources are really close to the heavy populated areas. However, really the, the current technologies are not viable in most of these areas. So let me now just zoom in on the United States. So that's where I am located. And you can look here at the Northeast is where the focus have been so far. And that has been a focus on fixed bottom as that can fixed bottom means that they can only go to 60 meters in depth. However, the if you look on the coast, west coast of the United States, it has amazing wind resources, but the seabed drops off really fast. And today, really to harvest two thirds of the offshore wind resources, you have to use floating technologies. And none of those are deployed yet in the United States. So there are great opportunities for floating offshore wind for the US. So I wanted to also show you on the right-hand side here, you see the average annual generation. This is over 24 hours profile average during the year. You can see the solar is obviously peaking during Noon, midday. And then you can see the land based is, is about 30 something percent capacity factors in California. But if you look at the offshore wind, it's really steady. It's, it's some of it's up to 60. If you go further out the coast, it's really up to 60% capacity factors. So they have world class wind resources off the coast of the west coast of the United States and the wind resort, the offshore wind, really is a great complement to the solar wind, the solar that, the generation that they have in California. And, and that, of course, is the same thing over during the wintertime, even when the sun is not shining as much, the offshore wind is really steady and can be a great complement. And they would replace the, the natural gas peakers that they put on in the afternoons. They, they start them out when the sun is setting. So just wanted to point that out. But if you look at the, go a little bit more into why the current solutions are not viable in most locations. And that is because these wind technologies are based on land-style turbines that do not tolerate wave motions. And that is leading them to have wave-resisting support structures that are really heavy and inefficient. And also, To reach, here's a little bit more pictures of the floating solutions today, how they have most of the weights are subsurface and they're very deep. The spar on the left is 78 meters, I believe, underwater, and that's over 240 feet underwater. So you need really deep ports to be able to deploy it. The others also, we say it's the iceberg effect. They have over 80% of their weight underwater subsurface. And therefore, really need specialized equipment to be deployed. And also, they need deep water ports to be deployed. On the left side, you have our solution. You can see we have a very shallow, shallow draft and a much lighter structure. And I'll get more into exactly how our solution works in a moment. However, to reach them, because these are very expensive to make the current solutions, to reach them economies of scales, they are making the solutions increasingly larger. And it, this is a map that shows the rotor diameter evolution over time. And each X on this map you, is a wind farm. So by 2005, the turbine diameter was as big, or long as the Statue of Liberty is tall. And now we have the Ming Yang plant for in China. It is 242 meters in diameter, so it's massive which is taller than the, or longer than the Golden Gate Bridge is tall. So these are becoming mass, more and more massive. And therefore it's even limiting the areas where they're viable for deployment. the, the current technologies. So again, needs very specialized equipment. On the left is the spar that we saw in the other picture. On the right is the large warswater Jacob ship. That ship is necessary to do the, um, the fixed bottom installations. So it would be stable. So it's, it's on the seabed. It has those feet that lift it up and it's actually taller than the Eiffel Tower. So very large structures. So this limits the markets, both for economics and just pure physical constraints. So I have a video that shows our solution and why we believe that we solved for these, these challenges that we just I just talked about. And this short animated Video will show you how. So we've redesigned the uh, floating wind turbine, as we said from the water up. And as you can see, the we redesigned the turbine and the way that the generated and blades are mounted. So you can see that they're held on both sides, like the bicycle fork holds the front wheel. This is enabling us to have our solution is, is actually can tolerate wave motions. So it has a lighter-like structure in a much shallower draft. And it weather vanes like a ship at anchor moving with the power of the wind and the current. And this also allows for less stress on the anchoring system which you see here next. And we can, u- we can deploy our wind turbine using existing boat yards with using local labor for fabrication and assembly. And it's towable to and from the site if it needs maintenance and repairs. And here you can see a turbine that needs maintenance being swapped out with a fully functioning one. And it takes uh, an hour to swap out and we will do robotic connection switching. Then pulling the turbines in for maintenance to shore in calm waters, and then have that as a spare or swap it out again with another one that needs maintenance. So it's very short downtime. So. Again, this really lets us have lower capital costs and O&M, and it helps us unlock markets around the world where the current turbines are not viable today. Given what I just uh, just said here, you can see it again in more details. So we have the simplified generator pod, lighter towers, and a shallower draft. And here you can see better also the anchoring system and how it then with the and moving with the wind and the and the current and again it is towable to and from the sites for maintenance and that again all of that lets us have the lowest wind levelest cost of energy of the lifetime of the turbine so it's even lower than the fixed bottom and of course that uh, lower than the floating the dark blue here is the an electrical infrastructure and project costs. And we're similar costs. We're the same as other floatings. It's a little bit more than the fixed bottom because we have to have a different wiring, the, the cable, because it needs to be able to uh, take motions more. But even with that, our installed turbine costs capital and the O&M is much lower than even the fixed bottoms, competitive on that. And it really, the key is really, and the fact that we can tow it back to sure for O&M and the O&M expenses are very low on our solution. We have done successful tank testing validation of our solution in, at Strathclyde University in Glasgow, Scotland, where we tested a one to 60 scale prototype. And here's a video of it tested with regular 12 meter waves. However, the test centers, they gave us some uh, really w- huge waves to test. We had quite uh, significant test waves of 16 point, uh, sorry, 17.6 meters and waves that are greater than 30 meters tall. And that is 100 feet for those who like to hear it in feet. And that is greater than any design sea state area of a global location that are currently being considered for deployment of offshore wind farms. So the projections for the capital that will be spent in wind uh, is really large. We here you see 2021. These are numbers from IEA. So the they expect by 2040 that we will have a transition to electricity, and war, war of the energy, at so $1.5 trillion, renewables to be 885 billion of that, wind to 50, and then offshore wind at 110 billion. That is great when you consider it, the oil and gas offshore ENP spend last year. Was 177 billion. I think that's in perspective. But we believe that is actually should be much larger at 375 billion or $400 billion in capex by then. Because we believe you need, if you take into consideration the improved technology, that should lead the offshore wind to take 25% of the electricity investments going into at that time. So a very large addressable market for us. So we have a scale development plan for our solution. So we we have been working on the validation of the design through tank testing. And we are now doing computer simulations with the National Renewable Energy Laboratories, with also with grants from the National Science Foundation here in the US. And we're working on that uh, computer simulation and also engineering and, and design support through that. We are working on building a small scale to be validated at sea. And then we will deploy a pilot in the fourth quarter of 2023 into the third quarter of 25. And that will be our large scale, fully functioning beta prototype. And then we will work on developing the test markets as well. Our goal is to ultimately reach utility scale. And I have here 10 megawatts. We believe that it's gonna be 10 megawatts or smaller. We don't believe necessarily that bigger is better. We, as we're looking at the optimal for economics, we don't see it to go bigger than the 10 megawatts due to the way that we've done the designs. So overcoming climate change and energy security issues really require audacious solutions. And the overwhelming feedback that we have received from industry players and customer in customer discovery meetings is that the current technologies are not viable for the build up that the goals that all the countries have. And that is desire to meet these goals. And that's the, the really great current challenges to overcome. And we have a unique global answer to become really the dominant technology in floating offshore wind. As I said, the jury's still out. And that believe the opportunity for T-Omega Wind to democratize offshore wind is enormous. And I'm happy to take any questions that anyone may have. Lovely. Thank you, Brita. That was a uh, very interesting detailed information to take
0: in, but very good overview to see what's been going on at T-Omega at Win and the technology you're, you're developing. But I will use my role as moderator to ask the first question. So Brita, if you don't mind uh, just unsharing your screen, so then we're back in the sort of normal format. And I wanted to just clarify about the structure. So you're saying the levelized costs are much lower on your prototype, but what about the turbines? Are they the normal turbines that are being developed by the big companies that are going in there or are they also your own developed kind of proprietary technology that you're putting in there?
1: Yeah, so we are working on partnerships with a large turbine company to develop that to be able to, so we use existing technology, but it will have to be in a way that it will tolerate the vote. More wave motions than what is being done today from the land-based turbines.
0: Okay, so it has to be a sort of specific technology. It can't be any of the existing ones that tie into.
1: If we're using existing technology that will be uh, designed a little bit different to be in it, to be able to tolerate the wave motions. Yes. Okay.
0: And could you talk us a bit more through the cost structure? Because you, you spend quite nicely why the costs are lower. But what about other elements like the cost of the materials, things like that? Because all companies developing these prototypes are in the same boat. So why, why are your cost structures so, so much
1: lower? Yes. And I, thank you. That That's a good question because we are so much lighter in our structure. So we require less materials. And now with the materials, the commodities going up whether it's steel or anything else going up in price but actually increases the difference between us and the others in the cost savings. So yes, the steel costs will go up for us as well, but because we are so much lighter and require so much less of steel and other materials, it actually increases the difference in the costs between us and the others. So we have the much lower that you can see the how our A draft is so much shallower, so we've less there. We have lighter legs and all of that leads to lower costs. Of course, we have the same transmission cables. That's the same cost for us as the others. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Thanks for clarifying.
0: And let's talk a bit about the company sort of going forward. You showed the timeline quite nicely of where you are wanting to take the prototypes and, and scaling that model. But what about sort of getting customers on board and actually having, having orders coming in? What are your growth plans in, in, in terms of revenue?
1: Yeah, so our plan is we're, we're talking with potential customers already, but we need to get ours in the water and to do the testing and validation in the ocean as well. But yes, we are t- going to take orders. And, and of course, we can go everywhere in, in the world with our technology. And we can use local labor and fabrication. So we really have the entire entire world where they have good offshore wind resources that can be our, our customer base. And can you say much about who you're talking to at the minute? Who's shown any interest? So we have we have spoken with some island nations that are interested also due to the fact they have great wind. They don't have the ports that are required. They also have, don't want to use their onshore to have onshore wind. They would like to get it far enough out that you can't see them. And so we have the perfect really solution for for some of those. We, of course, talk with the strategics that are out there already deploying and, and getting good interest from them as well. They can... That are deploying uh, in Europe and also in the United States and Asia. Okay,
0: worldwide. Yes, the worldwide. <laughs> and they're
1: they're just excited to follow us and see how how we're doing. Rob. Yep. So,
0: how would it work in terms of the infrastructure? Because you mentioned the transmission line, and obviously, the further you go out into the sea, the trickier that becomes because they have to be longer and therefore more expensive. How do you see that developing? Might there be an option to perhaps combine it with, for example, green hydrogen production where it can sort of become a different energy carrier as opposed to just the
1: electricity? Is is, is that something that you might look at going forward? Yes, yeah, so now we're focused on producing the power, which is necessary to produce the green hydrogen. So that is really where our focus is. But you're asking a really good question about the green hydrogen, because that is an opportunity once you're up there having the floating of the sea you can actually produce the hydrogen right there as well. But we are focusing on making sure we validate and get this out in the water and producing electricity first. But yes, it's a great, it could be a great combination there for 100% clean hydrogen. Okay. And if you're releasing these
0: floating offshore wind turbines far out into the sea and the network cables become very long
1: and that becomes a kind of cost issue, are there any alternatives? It will become more costly the further off you go, of course. And there are some areas where they have very deep waters, like off the coast of California, for example, it's 800 to 1,000 meters. We will not go all the way down. You don't have to go all the way down to the seabed in order to do that. And you don't have to go that far out either. So we're not looking to al- alternatives not to go to, to shore with them. We we still have to bring the, the electricity to shore, unless we do the green hydrogen, as you were, you were saying. But at this time, we need to bring them back the cables back to shore to provide the power to shore. But again, you don't need to go all the way down to the bottom. You can have a subsurface, uh, several hundred meters even, and not be a problem. Okay, that's clear.
0: <laughs> in my mind, at least that's clear. Thank you, Brita. That's, that's a good explanation. You know, at the moment, obviously, everyone in the industry is experiencing extremely high cost inflation, sort of left, right and center and I know you're just in your prototype phase, but but you're also trying to, to develop the product. So I was wondering whether you have noticed any of the kind of cost increases being a problem either for yourself or more widely in the in, in, in the industry. How has that sort of manifested itself?
1: Yes, there have been actually in the industry, we hear quite a bit lately. There were a couple of projects up in the Northeast of the United States that said to, to pass because of the, the costs and needed to... Look back at at the cost of and what the power purchasing agreements were going to be, so that that of course we hear it. We also spoke with several companies that are working in Europe on the development and heard and say that it it is really a challenge with the cost increases. Again, that makes us more excited about our solution because we are using so much less materials and should be able to have a an economic solution that can really meet the re- regular requirements for power production and be competitive with onshore resources. So why isn't everyone using your technology then if, if it's a much cheaper? Well, we are working on it now everyone is hearing about it. Of course, we have patents on uh, patent spending on ours also. And I think that they will. We hope that we are going to be the dominant technology. We believe we will be once we Get this into production. So again, as I said, it's in the the offshore wind industry is in its infancy, and the jury's still out for what is going to be the, um, the the technology that's going to to win. And we believe that we have a really really good solution here for it becoming cost competitively, and it, it, and it has to be that in order to be meet our goal of democratizing offshore wind you have to drive the cost down to be competitive and so it could be available for across the world right and not only in the few locations that I showed you on the map where they are deployed today
0: yeah absolutely and if there was an investor now saying that sounds amazing I want to get on board are there any opportunities to get involved in fundraising or become a a partner investor or something
1: like that So we are in the Series A fundraising. So absolutely, just contact me and be very happy to speak with us. So we are working on our fundraising now as we have gotten so much of our validation done and really excited to bring on investors that can be partners with us. And how much are you looking to raise? So in our first race, we're looking around $10 million. And that will get us to get the full-size prototype and into the water before getting it commercialized. And do you have a preference in terms of what kind
0: of funding partner you would like, more kind of maybe a utility, more of a kind of technology technology development partner or more financial partner? Do you have any, any preference?
1: All of those are of interest to us. So it's it's across the spectrum, but we do want to make sure that they are very interested in our our industry and that they are willing to be a good partner in developing our solution. Okay, perfect.
0: You obviously focused on the US market at the moment, and the IRA has had well, obviously attracted a lot of interest, uh, not just in the US, but 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 globally in terms of what that's going to to do to the 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 green energy market, but especially of also offshore wind and floating wind. What are your expectations from that and have you already seen more investor interest perhaps since that has come to the fore?
1: It, it, we actually have from investors like VCs and all say, well, they've been reading about it. They see it's coming. It's just great support from the current administration. And it is really a great announcement for us. It will give, and I won't get into all the specifics because I'm sure people want to talk to their tax lawyers about this, but, or tax accountants, but there's some great investment tax credits coming out of it for, so, and incentives, even in the, in the and it's also the wind shaft, as they called, came out. And that is for research and development dollars that are coming out of, for the development of wind and then specifically for floating offshore wind. So the announcement was for 30 gigawatts by 2030. And now it's of that, they want to have 15 gigawatts of floating was added after they came out with that to be by uh, 2035. And so that, including with all the incentives that are coming in place, some of the incentives will require local, that it's U.S. um, produced and with with labor. And so there's some of the more of the details of those rulings, but it is really to encourage investments in floating offshore wind in the United States and and fixed bottom both. Absolutely, those are huge figures, and uh, and your ten
0: megawatt turbine will you will need a lot of them to kind of get to anywhere to touch that yes. sort of uh, target that's that's, yes. that's aimed at. Bridget, how how do you foresee that developing because of those massive targets, not just in the US, a lot of different countries across the world have have very big offshore wind targets and also floating elements within them. How do you see that kind of demand pressure reflecting on the supply chain? Is there going to be enough available for everybody? What needs to change to make sure that this demand is actually going to be met?
1: Yeah, I think that we have a good solution in ours and that we can use local supply chains. But again, you need to have the turbines, the blades need to be made. And also one of the issues that I've heard from several industry players is that the mooring system and the anchoring system is where there's some challenges to get that event produced. So yes, there are some cost pressures and also just pure supply chain issues to be able and production issues to actually be able to produce the right type of mooring
0: systems. Do you already see that potentially being an issue for for your development? Is that too early to say? We're not seeing that at this time now. Okay, that's good. You can push ahead. And one question I always like to ask the interviewees is that if you weren't working in the company, you're working where across the sort of offshore wind value chain where you're working in, would you advise as a good place to, to, to invest apart from your own company?
1: Well, you know that it is a very complex and big supply chain and value chain. If you look at it, right? I would say in the maintenance piece that's coming for this, there will be good investments to be made too from companies that have been doing other things. It could be in the hubboats and the boatyards and all of that. Those areas I think will be really benefiting economically from this. But again, there, there's so much just in the manufacturing and, and production of the mooring systems and and the steel that's going into it and yeah, the fabrication. So, but I would say in the maintenance that's coming up and even the jobs that are involved in the maintenance are, are going to be a good area to invest. If somebody wants to even invest personally and wanting to take part in it, I see that's coming up now with the, um, when these are now coming out, be more and more of them being produced.
0: That's the thing I was wondering about is since there is kind of this sort of competition within floating about the technology, which one is kind of going to be demonstrating itself as the most efficient and viable one. How is that sort of relationship with your kind of competitors? Is it because it's such a small niche market still and you're all wanting the same thing essentially, which is developing this part of the industry, but you are also wanting to put your own technology forwards. How, how is that relationship with with, with the others?
1: Well, I I have to say that I have spoken with quite a few of our competitors out there, and it, it is great to learn from each other. I think that is all we see because we're all seeing great challenges that we want to solve solve for. This to have to harvest the offshore wind, especially floating. Again, as I said, it's really not determined yet what the best technology is, and I think that the um, the industry players are really learning from each other and taking tried to take the best of the best to, to be able to actually go through and meet these targets. They're very large targets to produce for. So yes, I've had really good, good conversations with others as well. Okay, great. And
0: talking about competitors, uh, of course, Econo, I used to work uh, and have, have just this week, I believe also uh, produced the first one from Hywind Temp, and then you floating for Part of, of Norway. And there's a lot going on, I guess, in sort of a very niche kind of markets around the world. But I think the, the 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 kind of measurement that's being applied very much to floating offshore wind is the capacity factor that you mentioned earlier as well. Do you already have a view on how yours might compete with existing technologies in terms of capacity factor?
1: Yeah, so we we have looked into that because we've also gotten some questions because of the way our, our legs are and I have the model behind me, so we'll see. And the studies that we've done so far is that it competes fine with the, on the capacity factors that it is not, that we are right there with the others that are, are producing offshore. So there's no no issues with the capacity factor of the production.
0: Yeah, so it's able to use the same I guess, kind of the wind in the same places and in the same efficient way as other
1: turbines are. Yes, so that that is correct. Yeah. And it should be able to go everywhere some of them others others can't. And that's what the purpose of our tank testing was to make sure we could test out. That was really just how the the structure moved in the waves and how it tolerated the wave motions. And they did really well in those conditions. Great. Thank you, Brita.
0: Brita, I wanted to ask because last week I actually interviewed someone from a wave and tidal company and they were talking about very much the same kind of ideas going further out offshore and harnessing the energy that's out there. Obviously, they were looking at the waves, but you're more looking at the wind. But of course, the waves also play play a role there. I was wondering, actually, there might be a way to kind of combine these technologies. And he was actually also referring to to projects where floating wind is, is being trialed together with wave and tidal. Is that
1: something you've ever considered? We have not considered that the the fact. But yes, if we're moving and that's how they get the they're actually making the power, that could be an upside, right? In the future. But right now we are focused on getting the, our turbine in the water and and test it. Perfect.
0: I'm asking you all these questions that probably will only apply in sort of 10 to 20 years time, but
1: I'm curious always about the sort of long-term vision. That's a great idea. Yeah, (laughs) a great idea of that together with the green hydrogen as well. We've been thinking about that, but it's right now we're focused on that.
0: Yeah. And of course, if you're at a point where you're trying to you know, piece the puzzles together and you're you're looking at what can be done infrastructure-wise for, for the future, then it makes sense to sort of uh, look at it from out, all angles and not just go that one route. So, uh, yeah. No, but it's a good I, point
1: you're making now and I'm hearing you say it because it's the same cable that could bring the power back, and you know? also yes, yes, that could be an opportunity to look into. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. Well,
0: anyone curious about the interview from last week on Wave and Title, it's on our website. But Brisa, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. We've learned a lot. Brisa, again, thank you for your time and I wish you all the best going forward. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for this
1: opportunity. It's, it was really a great and fun time for me. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.